welcome to the Forbcast, the leading podcast on freedom of religion or belief. Presented by Bellwether International. I'm your host, Brenna Christian Server. Welcome to episode two. Our first update for today comes from South Carolina in the United States. The South Carolina House has approved a bill that will make sure churches and other religious organizations are treated as essential services during a state of emergency. I got my sources for this story from AP News. I'm going to post the link for that source as well as all the sources I use throughout this entire episode in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. The bill passed with a 73-39 to vote on Thursday. As part of the bill, religious groups still have to follow safety protocols and occupancy rules. The proposal said churches and other houses of worship can't be closed if other essential businesses are open. So this bill essentially moves to classify churches as essential places, essential services. This bill is going to be sent to the Senate next to be voted on there. Representative John McCravey said, quote, This just allows a church to be on an even footing, a religious organization to be on an even footing with all other businesses deemed to be essential services. Close quote. People who opposed the bill said it was unnecessary to classify churches as essential places and that this could potentially lead churchgoers to not take precautions and potentially put themselves in danger, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic that we have happening. As a post-religious person myself, I understand the desire to prioritize public safety, especially because we have over half a million dead in the United States alone. It makes sense to take precautions and close all places that aren't absolutely essential. However, also as a post-religious person who used to be very religious, I also understand the desire to worship publicly in places that have been specifically designed for that worship. It can be a very important part of the process of worship to be at that building. So I do understand the desire from people who attend church services to continue attending their church services as it's an essential part of their life and their identity. Our second update for today comes from Sri Lanka. March 15th, 2021, Sri Lanka's Minister of Public Security, Sarath Wirasikara, called the burqa a sign of religious extremism and said it has a direct impact on national security. Wirasakara signed a paper on Friday seeking cabinet approval to ban burqas. A burqa, as many of you probably already know, is a garment worn by some Muslim women that covers their body and face. As part of this paper signed to ban burqas, it would also move to close more than 1,000 Islamic schools known as madrasas, citing national security. The United Nations Special Reporter on Freedom of Religion or Belief, Ahmed Shahid, tweeted that, quote, Burqa bans are incompatible with international law guarantees of the right to manifest one's religion or belief and a freedom of expression, close quote. Muslims 
make up about 9% of the 22 million people in Sri Lanka, where Buddhists account for more than 70% of the population. So the decision to ban burkas and madrasas is the latest move affecting Sri Lanka's minority Muslims. This is blatant religious discrimination. People should be allowed to choose what they wear, no matter what, but especially when it comes to religious expression. The source for our second story was also AP News. Thank you very much, AP News. Our third and final Forb update for today comes from Uxbridge High School in West London. Our source for this story is The Guardian. And as I said before, I'll put a link to all of our sources in the show notes. Uxbridge High School has officially apologized and dropped all legal action toward one of their students that was said to have broken the dress code because her skirt was too long. Sihem Hamoud, age 12, had described being bullied for her religious beliefs after being sent home every day in December of last year. She was told to only come back when she was wearing a shorter skirt. The school eventually ended up threatening her family with legal action over her alleged unauthorized absences. But Sihem's parents always maintained that shorter skirts went against their family's religious beliefs. Apparently, Sihem had been wearing her longer skirts for years, but the dress code had recently changed and she hadn't been made aware of it until she was asked to leave. But now, three months after first issuing the family with their legal threats, the school has now reversed its decision and officially apologized, sending the family a formal letter of apology and now confirming they will not be taking legal action for the time that Sihem was unable to attend school. Sihem's father said he's very pleased with their decision. He's grateful that they listened to the family's concerns. He was quoted saying, Quote, we are very happy that Sihem has been able to resume her schooling with her right to practice her faith by wearing an ankle-length skirt in the same style as the school uniform skirt now accommodated by the school. We thank the school for its willingness to work toward a fair and positive outcome. This has been a difficult period, and we are relieved to now have the matter concluded. We are grateful for the support we have received from the wider community. Although this is a happy ending, we do see intense religious discrimination, particularly against Muslims, once again in this story. It's wonderful that the school finally agreed to let her wear what made her feel the most comfortable, but it shouldn't have been a question to begin with. I don't believe we should ever decide what a person wears. There shouldn't be laws and policies about this kind of thing because people should be able to decide based on what they believe and what they feel most comfortable in. I want to conclude today's episode by talking about how our very own executive director, Rachel Miner, will be presenting her research on how the intersectionality of religious and international law affect child sexual abuse. She'll be presenting this research at Harvard University's Human Flourishing Program. The symposium's title this year is Faith and Flourishing, Strategies for Preventing and Healing Child Sexual Abuse. The description for this symposium is, quote, This landmark symposium is a marquee event for the April 8th World Day for Child Sexual Abuse Prevention, Healing, and Justice. 
This event provides participants with a unique opportunity to engage with scholars, public health, and mental health care professionals, child abuse prevention experts, and religious leaders of diverse faith traditions to share experiences, discover new resources, and identify strategies they can implement to prevent child sexual abuse and foster healing for survivors of abuse in their communities. This symposium is happening April 8th through the 10th, 2021. You can register for this symposium on Bellwether's website. It is completely free. I will post a link for it in our show notes. Please click on it, register, come, learn. I am very excited. As part of my role here on the Forbcast, I aspire to learn along with you, the audience. I don't have a background in freedom of religion or belief. I'm learning just as much as you are. In fact, you might know more than me. So if I get something wrong, please feel free to reach out. My email address is brenna at bellwethernngo.org. B-R-E-N-N-A at bellwethernngo.org. Please rate, review, subscribe, and send this episode to somebody who you think would find it interesting. As always, thank you so much for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of The Forbcast. Thank you. Thank you.